it is for the 100th time, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We are so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC. Hey, are you using us to get through a workout or a run? Are you one of our geeks in sneaks? Hey, maybe you're in uh, traffic. Maybe you're stuck on a commute. We're going to be there with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis... The guy who has officially spent over 150 hours of his life doing the show with me. And he's not sick of me yet. Mr. Christian Spicer! Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Uh, we did it. Do we get a, what do we get? I think we get uh, some sort of uh, hundred-shaped uh, glasses, I think, that you put on your face. No? I don't know. Um, I'm excited, and I will wear them for the next four episodes before we put a fork in this show. <laughs> yeah, somebody pointed out to me today on Twitter that uh, this is the fourth show that I've uh, done at least 100 episodes of, <laughs> that I've created well, <laughs> or co-created. I look forward uh, to your 100th show. <laughs> my 100th, 100th show? I'm, I'm working on it. I'm heading there. Um, I'm excited. Uh, we have lots to talk about. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about being at 100, but we're going to talk about some awesome news that happened this week. We got more Fallout talk. We got Rise of the Tomb Raider talk. We got tons of stuff this is the best part of the year to talk about video games in my opinion uh, and we have a great guest to do it with us i'm so excited because as you know dlc is your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week once again dlc stands for diversions and livelihoods combined because from the gamers with jobs website and the gamers with jobs conference call podcast one of my very favorite people in the world mr julian murdoch is back that's, hey, that's really kind. Do you, can you just walk around behind me saying that every once in a while? Like, this I mean is my it. favorite person. You are, uh, you are truly one of the, one of the best people in gaming that I've met. Oh, uh, you are uh, kind and generous and interesting and fun and smart and uh, do a and great it's job. it's all so. downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> and Julian was on the show way back in uh, May of 2014 on episode 19 and it's been too long since we've had you back but i'm glad you're here for episode 100 i couldn't think well of a it's great person. to be here i i heard you were going to talk about fallout 4 so i had to come yes uh, i think that some people are talking about that game i think it's mildly successful uh the fallout 4 so we, it we should be it, it should be but we'll get to that Hey, speaking of getting to that, I want to just take a second and thank everybody that sent in awesome emails this week to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, congratulating us on our 100th episode. Uh, yeah, I just, there's a bunch of them. I'm not going to read all of them, but I wanted to read a few just to, as, a, as a cool thank you to the people that sent them in. This one uh, was sent in by Randy. He said, uh, I heard about the podcast on one of the final episodes of Weekend Confirmed. You guys are on episode two at that point. I listened and loved it and went back and listened to episode one, and I haven't missed an episode since. I look forward to DLC to brighten up my Monday evening, my favorite podcast. Thanks, Randy, for saying that. Uh, a couple of other ones that I thought were really fun. Uh, this one says, uh, since 2012, this is from uh, Bradley Martin. He says, from, since 2012, my family has been going through immigration issues. America to Canada, which happens. He said, in 2014, my wife and the mother of my children was deported Long story short, we were all happy and living together uh, again now in Raymond, Alberta, Canada. 
During this trial and hardship, my boys and I would, and still to this day, listen to DLC. It brought joy and a sense of normalcy to our lives during that stressful period. Jeff and Christian, thank you. And if you could give a shout out to my boys, Samuel and Calvin, it would mean the world to them. So what's up, Samuel and Calvin? How's it going, guys? Thanks for what's listening. What's up, Calvin and Samuel? There's no reason. I think we all know that Samuel is way better than Calvin, Christian. I think that's... Uh, I know you're a huge a, Calvin fan. I've never read a book called Samuel Hobbs? and Hobbs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the last one I wanted to read real quick from Matt Wilson. He says, I listen to DLC every Monday while I work and just wanted to drop a line and say thanks for getting me through a work day. I know you two love comics and I happen to color comics. So on top of producing a fantastic show about games, the two of you have actually helped quite a few comics get made by getting me through some late nights while pushing to hit a deadline. I thought you two might also find this funny. So kind of like how sense memory works, where a smell will recall a vivid memory, I can often look at older work and get a flash of what I was listening to while working that day. So every once in a while, I'll look at a comic and hear, Hype Train Choo Choo! Or Squarespace! (laughs) And instantly chuckle to myself. Anyways, I wanted to say that I appreciate your love of loving things, your not actually legal advice, legalish opinions, and all the work you two put into bringing us DLC every week. You two... He says, oh, you guys sorry. do think about what you put in the world, and you do make it a better place. So thanks, um, Matt. Matt's work is incredible, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Uh, agreed. And to think that we have some small part in making it possible is uh, the coolest feeling in the world. No, so. I have added colorist to my resume. So. <laughs> Color assistant? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So enough of uh, our back padding, but but th- there's lots more where these came from, and I, I would love to, to read all of them. But uh, thank you to every person that took a moment and sent us a nice email this week. We also have some audio stuff that I'll play later on in the show that people sent in, which is, which is pretty cool, too. Uh, just a little fun celebration of 100. It's, you know... Julian's sitting here, at, you know, they're they're like at 500 episodes of their show. So, uh, you know, he's like, oh, the, all the youngins are, are having a great time with their you're in the podcast. You're in the sweet spot. You're not tired of each other yet. It still feels fresh. <laughs> Enjoy it while you're here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of enjoying it, let's get to a story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter. That's uh, hashtag DLCSOTW for Story of the Week. And uh, you can also submit stories on our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, we also love getting feedback at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. So uh, three ways to interact with us. We love all of them. Um... Julian, as our guest, uh, you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here about Nintendo, and that's all that's all legit. There's a bunch of the, but and, and we had the new Xbox One dashboard, which I could uh, come on. I mean, it's a dashboard. I think it's got to be just Fallout 4 breaking every record ever for anything that anybody ever watched. I mean, tons of streams everywhere my son has been watching tons of fallout 4 streams uh even though i'm sitting right next to him playing the game and he could just sort of say watch me uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm apparently not very interesting You're less interesting have- than random twitch streamer yeah it just well i know he has very specific twitch streamers that he goes after but uh none of them are me uh and so he uh, he's he's been following those and, and it doesn't surprise me that it's breaking all these records because there's so much going on in this game 
Um, but at the same time, it is one of these sort of classically lonely games in the sense that you spend a lot of time sort of wandering from place to place. And those kinds of games do well with a really good streamer on top of them, you know, giving patter and making funny jokes and, and talking about the world. So I get why it's breaking all those records. So I, to me, that's got to be the, you know, it's got to be one of the best launches of a game I can remember in a long time. And a Bethesda game that launched that isn't crashing every five minutes. That's, that's a news story by itself. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, evidently shipped 12 million copies across uh, all platforms uh, worldwide, which is huge. Uh, it, as you said, it broke records on Twitch for the most uh, most viewers of a single game, and it also broke records on Steam. Um, more than 440,000 concurrent Steam users playing it at its peak, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and... Um, Evidently, Pornhub announced that uh, they actually saw a dip in traffic to their site when <laughs> Fallout 4 was released. So, really, across all metrics, I would say uh, Fallout 4. And and I, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I, I I find this game's massive success to be a little surprising, to be honest. I know people were excited about it. I think they did a great job from a marketing standpoint in in revealing it and releasing it very very quickly. Um, but it just doesn't seem like the kind of game that most people I know want to play. Uh, it is very old school. It is, it's very uncompromising. It's vast and it's deep and it requires your attention and it asks a lot of the player. And it, I think a lot of, a lot of those things aren't considered particularly mainstream I, and fly in the face of a lot of the way the gaming industry has been going lately. I, I heard you say things like that last week, and I, I had to scream at the, my microphone and my headset because I disagree. I don't think of this as being old school or uncompromising or asking that much of the player. I actually find it easier to get into and easier to really get the flow going certainly than than the last two fallouts fallout 3 and fallout new vegas which i i love both of those games too but mm-hmm. those seemed uncompromising and difficult and and asked a lot of the player and required you really to learn what you were doing in a way but compared to like the demon souls dark souls types of games these are not old school you know slaughter fests that require that kind of dedication I find it really approachable, more approachable, frankly, than any Fallout game since the I, uh, Fallout 2. Express a hypothesis why that's the case? Sure. Fallout 3 and New Vegas were hard to get into, and now come the third time you're playing what's arguably the same game. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> well, well uh, yeah. But I mean, same I, structures. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying same game, like copy and paste. It's Fallout 3. It's like people that played Bloodborne and said it's easier than the Souls games, and it's their fourth or fifth Souls game, yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how it works, right? <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't compare this to any of the Souls games. And I, and I maybe using the word old school or, or hardcore or anything like that, it, it obviously does evoke those games. And I, I don't mean to. I, I mean in, in comparison to what is traditionally sort of the top of the pops, you know, <laughs> like uh, Call of Duty and Or Halo and 5. Halo. Yeah, and and those those sort of mainstream cross media phenomenon, you know, and I think I think the Souls games are are big hits, but they're I think they're a little bit deeper into the hobbyist culture of of video games that the people that we really talk to obviously know them, but I don't think I think you could walk up to a, the average person they've probably heard of Call of Duty and Halo, but they probably haven't heard of Dark Souls or Demon Souls. You know, hello, so. I have a uh, three questions for you. Say whether you've heard of these games or not. Call of Duty. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Fallout? know. Fallout? 
Fallout, I say? Have you heard of Fallout? <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a, a arbitrary distinction that isn't necessary. But I I think it's true that that there's more. Certainly in Fallout Four, there's more going on that requires you to pay attention to the game than say uh, Halo Five, which I just played through and loved for very different reasons. And that game expects nothing of you except right. to pick up whatever weapons <laughs> on the ground when you run out of ammo. Um, you know, and it's I love it. It was great. I've played all the way through it and played ton- multiplayer. But this game, you have to actually like pay attention to your weapons and the crafting system and the settlement system. While you could sort of ignore them, you can't really. Um, right. And so I think it does require you to get invested in the world, but it also rewards you a lot for getting invested in the world. So I, That's for sure. That's for sure. And that's one of the things it does really, really well is it's constantly rewarding you on every turn for investing in the fiction, invest, investing yeah. in the world. And, and I think that that's what people are responding to. And I, I think what I'd like to talk about right now in res- response to this sort of news story is – do you guys think that this will have an effect on the kinds of games that are made going forward? Certainly the massive success of Call of Duty had a ripple effect and you know we've seen some sort of Minecraft-esque games that get made. Do you think there will be other companies trying to Bethesda eyes some of their portfolio? Uh, Julian, why don't you get that one? Yeah, I think that not so much from a how this game works, like the mechanics, but I think from how these games are marketed. Right. I think that the, the all the brouhaha about, you know, how this game had, you know, cascading uh, embargoes and the fact that it was effectively not announced until it was gold. Um, there was really no preview of this at all. It wasn't like we were watching PewDiePie play this three months ago on a preview build or anything like that. It skipped a lot of what has become traditional hype building for these types of games. And they went completely the opposite direction, almost sort of in a valve, you know, it's done when it's done kind of mode where they just said, yep, here's a game. And we had like, what, six, eight weeks to pay attention to it. Right. And then it was here. And and I think that the success of that here uh, is what I think will resonate with the industry more so than building this type of game. Because we can't, you know, leave out the fact that this is, depending on how you count, somewhere between the fourth and eighth version of Fallout. It's a world that people have a lot of attachment to. So it's part of that narrow class of games that have a storied franchise. And there are only, what, 10 of those. I mean, there's not that many of those franchises out there. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's th- what gets taken away from it. But in a lot of senses, I think that kind of invalidates um, a lot of PR people's jobs. Because, like, you know, they spend all their time trying to figure out these massive strategies. And to say, well, the new strategy is just sit on things for a lot longer, uh, which I would love, I think would be is a solid idea. I'm not so sure that that will catch on because I think it it flies in the face of what what people need to justify their jobs well but i mean to some extent that's what we saw with overwatch i mean the the short it's fairly short timeline from when you know they announced that and then it was effectively playable and done what e3 last at a a pax east this year oh yeah yeah. right you know and and the announcement for that was what two weeks of three weeks before pax east and it was completely playable um and i would expect the next time we get a big drop from valve they're going to try to follow that same pattern so i think if you're big enough that you can afford to do this like you're not trying to raise money based on the hype uh i think it makes actually more sense i do too and i certainly i you know i had a tweet out this week that said i hope that that's what the takeaway is 
you know, it's not bad to work on a game for four years. It really does show in the level of depth and quality and what's there for $60. Uh, I, I think that should be a takeaway. I think, you know, revealing it and putting it out in a very short time window, I think is, is huge. And I hope that more companies do that as well. And I think, you know, respecting the player's IQ, I, I think that the game in a lot of ways doesn't hold your hand and doesn't, it, it, it really does deliver on the idea of pure freedom. And I think that that, I hope, is something that resonates in games going forward as well. Um, well, we'll have lots more to talk about, uh, in our, uh, playlist segment about fallout. I'm excited to hear what Julian's take on it is as well. And, uh, I have more things to say for sure. Uh, <laughs> Christian, Christian can get a sandwich. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Christian, I think actually has some new, new thoughts as well, but Christian, what's your, uh, what's your story of the week? It's gotta be something coming out of the Nintendo directs, which are, are back. Nintendo said they had not stopped, um, with the changing of the guard and the untimely and unfortunate passing that happened over at Nintendo. Um, it was November 12th was their first one back. And I think they came with, it was a good Nintendo direct, which is to say a lot of what and a little bit of cool, um, which is, I think, consistent for non E3 Nintendo directs. And I think the biggest thing for me, coming out of it is that the rumored and potentially leaked zelda um i'm not sorry twilight princess hd is coming to the wii u in 2016 and they released some screenshots and there's some video and it does two things one shows you how pretty the art direction in that game is and two shows you how blurry the textures were (laughs) back on the wii if you watch those comparison videos it's just like i don't think my eyes had mud on them before but it's like twilight and day right (laughs) yes yes it is (laughs) um the other thing that they have said after this now is that zelda wii u is still what what was the word they use planned or on target to come out in 2016 also um i think that twilight princess hd is going to be the little bitter pill or the sugar to make us swallow the bitter pill that uh, Zelda Wii U is not going to make 2016 and it's going to be an NX game. They're not going to say that now, but I think that's what they're setting this up to be. It does seem weird if if they're going to put both of those out in the same short time period. But maybe it's the kind of thing where Twilight Princess HD comes out in, say, June. And then, you know, we get a fall Christmas kind of thing for uh, for the new Zelda uh, for Wii U, I, I I suspect if if we're getting a, an NX, whatever that is, this year, it'll be the kind of thing like Twilight Princess was, where it bridges. It's released for both, um, which would be certainly interesting. Uh, Julian, what's your take on the 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 various Zeldas that we are assured are still on their way? I they struck me as a little desperate, so I'm I'm inclined to agree a little bit with Christian that I think that there's a little bit of uh, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic going on here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think that I, I found the most interesting thing, frankly, was the fact that that new female Zelda Link, uh, Linkle, Link, Linkle, Linkle <laughs> is going to have Voss dual crossbows. Me. Dual crossbows sounds awesome. I'm all in on dual crossbows. Uh, yeah. But the fact that that's what I think is the most interesting part of this this slew of releases, uh, or at least announcements, is I, th- I think kind of gives you my opinion on the whole thing. I agree. I don't think that we're going to see it in 2016 uh, as far as a, a Wii U. Uh, Zelda, um, and I think that a lot of this stuff is probably going to get pushed. Um, I think I think they're still a company that's trying to figure out where their sort of core center is coming from. Yeah, I mean, evidently they've said that uh, Star Fox is now April of this next year, and it's it's really there's a lot of really fun kind of news, but a, not 
too many big things. Uh, I guess, you know, people were pretty excited about cloud coming to super smash brothers. Um, that's cool. It's cool. It's, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of uh, an interesting thing in the sense that cloud has, to my knowledge, never, ever been on a Nintendo platform before. So that's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's in our game now. It feels like Super Smash Brothers is just nostalgia, the fighting game, you know, which is cool. Uh, I'm down for that. And uh, and then Dragon Quest 7 and 8 coming to 3DS is cool, too. More nostalgia, more games that have never sure. really been available in, in uh, North America. So, But I agree with you guys that there isn't tons. And the fact that they make such a big deal about the fact that uh, Link is still on his way. Uh, and maybe we'll have a you know female counterpart with them, which is cool. But uh, that these games are still coming. Just please buy a Wii U because they're coming. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a little mine's gathering sad. dust, so I'm dying for a reason to turn it on again. Well, you know, a lot of people love that Mario Maker. I think that's a huge, huge game for that platform. It almost feels like the Mario Maker platform at this point um, because it's it's infinite platforming games, it's inf- infinite Mario's. I think it's interesting, like this news, this this discussion we're having right after what we hope companies will take away from Fallout 4's release, right? Where yeah, the right. game goes gold and then it comes out and Nintendo's over there saying, it's it's still happening. Yeah. The open two world years away. Link, in is, is, Link is in is really big. Oh, He's trying totally. to find his way to release date. Good point, <laughs> man. Great point. We're like, we hope people <laughs> compress the time period between, uh, yeah. But I guess with, with Zelda, it's a little different because it's like you have to know that they're making a well, Zelda. Well, and they need to now because I think, unfortunately, they backed themselves into a corner by trotting Zelda Wii U out early when they thought it was going to make it out this year. And now once you've announced a game, shown video and playable sections, you know, hand, other people playing the game on two occasions, it is, it's kind of weird just to go completely dark. And then if they did announce Twilight Princess HD and then they didn't mention anything about Wii U, Zelda, people would be like... Row, <laughs> yeah. So they're in a danged if they do, danged if they don't spot. Pretty true. Uh, I would say my story of the week. I think the Nintendo Direct stuff was was kind of the most noteworthy as far as pure gaming news. But uh, I'm interested about this um, the announcement of the nominees for the Game Awards, which is a friend of the show Jeff Keighley's Game Awards ceremony, and uh, which is happening at the beginning part of December. The official nominees came out. I think. We all agreed, and we had Keely on uh, last year, and we talked to him at at length about the awards ceremony. I think we all agreed that uh, it was the best game awards yet, the inaugural year of these new game awards. Uh, I think uh, we all agreed that they're sort of getting it right, and it doesn't feel as much like a just a big promo. It really does feel like the the most appropriate games are being nominated. So I thought I'd uh, throw it out to you guys and see what you think about the nominees this year. the, The game of the year... Uh, nominees are Bloodborne, Fallout 4, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain, Super Mario Maker, and The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. I think five stellar nominees. It's interesting what's not on that list, uh, I would say. You know, Halo doesn't make it, Call of Duty doesn't make it, Assassin's Creed doesn't make it, Batman doesn't make it. Um, so <laughs> you put some stank on Batman. I like <laughs> no, I was trying to, Halo I was trying, I think that's the mo- Batman. I think of, Batman. of the three, that's the most surprising, right? I think everybody kind of assumed that was a pres- presumptive game of the year candidate, um, when it was released. And maybe it's just because it was released a while ago now, although, you know, Bloodborne. Bloodborne. And, yeah. Bloodborne. Ain't new. Both. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, the yeah, shocking ahead. thing to me here is that, um, I've only played two of the games on this of any, I mean, I've, touched all of them but you know i've only put time into the witcher and fallout 4 bloodborne i'm just kind of done with beating my head against that 
series. So mm-hmm. I, I've never enjoyed it that much. I played it out of obligation to friends that keep buying me copies. Um, and Hashtag Metal Gear Solid Five brag. just seemed <laughs> too big for me to really dig into. It just didn't hit at a time when I wanted to make that kind of a commitment. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge Mario fan. I know that's blasphemous. Uh, I have other things that are my old school jam, but right. it, it wasn't something I was all over. Uh, also, Jesse Hayes FL here in the chat points out that Rocket League didn't make the list. Which I think a lot of is people probably my game of the year. Is it really? Oh wow. yeah, I put so, I put more time into that than probably every other game this year combined. Well, I mean that's a that's an interesting question, right? Because if you just go time investment, I you know I go Heroes of the Storm, which is also not anywhere on this list. Uh, it doesn't right. even make the they have a special like esports category. It didn't even make that, although Hearthstone <laughs> did. Um, but uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's the that's the criteria for for game of the year. And I think that it's really interesting to to have to try to juxtapose a Rocket League with something like Fallout Four or Metal Gear Solid Five. Like these games are it's it's apples and oranges to such a huge degree that I don't even know how you make that comparison. Well. I mean, I think the Academy Award, and we we got into this before, so I won't belabor the point about it should be favorite game of the year. But, I mean, the Academy Awards have best foreign film, best animated, best documentary, and then also best picture. And to some extent, that's good because you get to highlight other types of films. But the flip side of that, I think, is is the negative that a film like Inside Out, I'm guessing, won't win best picture because it will get best animated. And maybe you'll get a best picture nomination if they do 10. And in games, while they still do have subcategories, best shooter, best sports, best whatever, everybody tends to focus on this game of the year. And so you do, you end up in this situation where if Rocket League doesn't get thrown into that mix, people are like, oh, it's BS, it's whatever. But you're trying to compare it to a totally different style of game, which is fun for debates. But also, I think it shines a light on the fact that ultimately a game of the year award means nothing. Right. Well, I, I think also the thing we have to point out is that uh, unlike movies, platform matters a lot, right? Which is why it's pretty rare to see, for instance, Nintendo games end up on a lot of these lists that people put together because they're single platform. And, uh, you know, I was surprised actually to see Super Mario Maker on this list for that reason, because, you know, something like The Witcher Fallout is everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I th- that's why I, I th- we have to take some of these with a grain of salt, because I think that that's a major consideration, right? If you don't, if you're not a Nintendo owner, it's irrelevant to you whether Mario Maker is a good game or not. Not everybody buys every console. And also, I think, Jeff, a little spoiler for maybe what we're going to do for Faves of the Year, Game of the Year. I think we were talking about limiting our list to five and then throwing in some honorable mentions, too. And I, I have mine going, you know, it's a, it's a working list, but... um Five is hard. <laughs> five, I mean, this year in particular, five is hard. I mean, I, yeah. I think five in, in other years may not be as hard. This year is one of, I think, the banner years of video game releases. And I think that shows in how difficult it is for them to even have this list without having criticisms of it, you know, for the for game awards. Yeah. And how diverse, I mean, I don't agree with everything on this list, but it is a pretty diverse range of games. I guess you could say open world kind of dominate between... Metal Gear, Witcher, and Fallout, but I would argue Metal Gear is not super open world. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, dude. It's tough. I don't envy them, but they're doing it 
they're they're purposefully trying to make a big deal out of it. <laughs> and I think yeah. by doing that, they draw the criticisms that it's hard. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me that you know some of the other categories uh, where Rocket League I think is going to walk away with it is a best sports slash racing game category, which because it's both, it's both, <laughs> right? So, uh, best sports <laughs> game played with a car and a ball. <laughs> it's kind of not fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's some some interesting some interesting things on this list. I would love to hear what you guys, what Julian, what do you think is going to win Game of the Year of those five predictions? Uh, I I actually think if I had to pick one here, it's going to be Fallout Four, partially because of the timing. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit like the whole Academy Awards run up. You don't really want to release your movie in February if you're bucking for the Academy Award. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Fallout 4 is going to be coming into the holiday season. It's going to continue to sell through the holiday season. Um, and I think that something like, you know, The Witcher 3, which is a fantastic game, is just off most people's radar at this point. Yeah. Even Metal Gear Solid, it seems. I, I would have thought Metal Gear Solid would have walked away with it, you know, just a month ago. And, uh, and then you know. played Fallout 4. And then you played <laughs> Fallout 4, which kind of makes the argument that graphics aren't everything. Anyway. Uh, Christian, what about you? What's your prediction for the winner? <laughs> Makes the argument that graphics aren't everything. Shut your face. They're not everything, <laughs> Mr. 80-inch TV. Uh. <laughs> it does look real nice on 80 inches. But especially uh, when I'm like three and a half inches away from it. Because right. that's how big my apartment is. <laughs> out, of, out of this list, I would put my money on fallout 4 winning game of the year my wild card you know holy moly didn't expect that would be mario maker you think i i also don't think anybody would expect that i i think that's the dark horse that is the far i think that is fifth place on voting i think well, i that- think how it, i think how it rises up is that it is the only one that's not dark and oppressive that's true. It's a fun, feel-good game. It's the only game. happy game. Yeah, it really it is, is. the only happy game. Metal Gear Solid Five it... has a little bit of happy in it, but it's like that weird, quirky Japanese happy where like, look at that <laughs> bear on that balloon. Yeah, the dog has an eye patch, for God's sake. It's not happy. And right, the dog I lost an eye. Yeah. <laughs> Any game where a dog loses an eye is not a happy game. But then again, watching Patrick Klepek play Mario Maker reveals it is not a happy game either. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of darkness there as well. Um, I think the best shooter is going to be Splatoon. I'll I'll say that right now. I think it, it's gonna it's gonna beat out Halo and Battlefront and Black Ops Three and Destiny. I think Splatoon is gonna win, and I I, I think it's gonna shock everybody. Um, all right, enough of that. Uh, let's uh let's thank our sponsor, and uh, that is Linda. Man, I really love it when Linda uh, sponsors our show because I get to talk about one of my favorite things, which is learning. Uh, learning is we just did an episode of We Have Concerns actually about how learning actually promotes uh, growth of, of your brain. It promotes new, actual new neurons in your brain. So learning something throughout your life is always a healthy thing to do. And it, Linda is a great place to learn new things. It's much better than any other platform. I should explain what Linda is. It is an uh, online learning platform that has over 3,000 on-demand video courses that let you learn new things, uh, strengthen knowledge you already have, about software, technology, creative skills, business stuff. There's so many things. Like I said, over 3,000 video courses. And there's stuff from photography to Word and Excel to game design. You can learn how to how to program, how to 3D model. There's HTML5 classes. There's all kinds of real cool stuff if you're into video games and want to learn how to make them. 
Linda is a great resource there, but there's also all kinds of deep, rich, interesting classes taught by the experts in their field who know how to convey these inf- this information in a really great manner that that doesn't uh, that isn't like YouTube. It isn't like going to some place and just seeing some guy trying to give you a tip. No, it's like also, it's like it's like what you want YouTube to be. Like I learned yes. everything about using Ableton Live through Linda because on Able you can go to YouTube and get little five minute videos, or you can go to Linda and get the three and a half hour course, and that's yeah that's what you want. Yeah, that is what you want. And also, even better than that, like you don't have to sit through three and a half hours if you're just looking for a specific bit of information. All of their courses are have uh, transcripts that are searchable by keyword and that links you up with the exact minute number that that thing was talked about. So let's say it is a, it's a three hour course. That's, that's interesting and useful, but if there's only one bit of it that you need, if you only need a one piece of information about doing something in Excel, you can jump right to that point and not have to sit through, you know, the, the guy on YouTube droning on about whatever it's, it's so much better. It's such a superior way to, to bone up on anything. It's great. Lynda.com. Uh, we, ask you to go to our URL, which is lynda.com slash DLC. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash DLC. And if you do, we're going to hook you up with a 10-day free trial so you can check it out and see if it's right for you. Anyway, you get your full run of the site for 10 days. You can check out any of the 3,000 courses as much as you want. Uh, just check them out, lynda.com slash DLC. I bet you'll find it useful and helpful, and uh, it'll it'll increase your productivity and make you smarter. So uh, not a lot of things that we advertise can actually make that kind of promise, but Linda can. It will make you smarter. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash D-L-C. Check it out today. All right, dudes. Uh, let's move on now to uh, our playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. Man, this is the best part of the year for the playlist because there's so much stuff. This is the time of year where I take a break from one video game by playing another video game. <laughs> um, that's that's my life now. Uh, so, Julian, what is on your playlist? I know you've been playing a lot of Fallout. Yeah, Fallout 4. And, you know, I'm not going to say you guys have been talking about it for two weeks already. Um, I love this game. I'm more into it than I have been in the last the last couple. I love New Vegas, but I like this one way, way more. I love the freedom of running around it. Um, I do have to quibble about this whole graphics thing. I bought a new computer just to play Fallout 4. Uh, Penny it was 286? Game. Or what did you get? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Trolling no, hard. <laughs> no, because my old machine was basically right at the min spec for the PC version because I hadn't upgraded in three or four years. And I hadn't really cared, but I, I really wanted to have a... I mean, I, A, I needed a new machine for the holiday season anyway, but this was my excuse game. Uh, and I play on an ultra-wide monitor. Um, and on a big, fat new machine with an ultra-wide monitor, this game is unbelievably gorgeous. So, hmm. yeah, it's still got some engine quirks. You know, doors get too shiny and things like that. But they have they have tortured this engine into being able to do some pretty beautiful things at least on the PC side. Now, I've seen all the screenshots from the console stuff, and it does look different. So there's stuff going on in the PC engine that may just not translate to the newer consoles. I don't know. But I, I've, I've been screenshotting the hell out of this game because I just want to be able to remember how pretty some of this stuff is. Well, it has a beauty. <laughs> I, I don't think it, it, it is. I don't think it's ugly, per se. I think Christian used that word last week, and I would, I would take issue with the faces. Ugly? The faces. Oh, the, well, faces the faces are horrible. 
<laughs> I, I'm all I'm Bethesda. You're saying that Fallout is, a, out. Fallout is a butterface? <laughs> they, this is a company that like found the Uncanny Valley and then built houses at the bottom. Of it. I mean, they're never leaving the Uncanny Valley. Well, because it took they, them forever to find all that copper to build all those houses. You can't them. <laughs> yeah, so, they yeah, bombed. I, they bo- set up off a bomb inside the Uncanny Valley, and that's where Fallout <laughs> that's is That's pretty much it. It's terrible. But, you know, I'm willing to overlook that because it's a Bethesda game. I knew that was going to happen going in. Um, you know, the day that they actually come out with, you know, uh, actual art style for human faces that doesn't make you, like, cringe, uh, that'll be a monumental day. Well, I'm I'm playing um, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which I'll talk about shortly. But um, going back and forth between this and Fallout, it it's really puts into stark contrast. It, w- once we get a Bethesda game that looks like Rise of the Tomb Raider, I will be in heaven. Um, but of course, but of course, you know, games like Rise of the Tomb Raider will look even better at that point. So <laughs> yeah, you, know. you can never win. Yeah, but I mean, I just it it truly is not bad. It's really not that bad. There was a moment I went to a place like a there's a bank it's uh, in a certain location that has this bronze lion statue out in front of it and I stopped for a second and I was just looking at that bronze lion statue and I was like that looks real in Fallout. It just it looked real to me and I was like that's that's pretty awesome but then there's other things that look really flat and look really well know, that engine bad. that engine does shiny metal things or dirty metal yeah. things very very well which makes it good for this type of game. Um, where it's always where that engine's always fallen down a little bit is in the sweeping, beautiful natural vistas, which I think that they've done a much better job here than they ever have before. The environmental effects are way better than they've been before. I, I understand that it's not way out on the cutting edge. I also ran The Witcher 3 on my brand new fancy pants machine, and that game looks amazing, right? I mean, yeah. I, there is definitely a difference between a modern engine and the last legs of an old engine. No question. Well, you go ahead, Christian. I, was, I think that's kind of the point where they haven't in, this game still has bugs and the games have always had bugs and glitches and whatever and for Bethesda to create an entirely brand new engine from the ground up I mean that seems incredibly difficult <laughs> to, to to pull off to get this game out when they wanted to get it out and not have right. more bugs and whatever so they've kind of cobbled together this Fallout 4 on a Fallout 3 whatever and you can even see things that were from the old game, like some of the the character designs and some of the, oh gosh, what are they called? Mutants or whatever that you encounter. I mean, there looks like copy paste from Fallout 3. And then you see new creatures and new enemies that are brand new to the series. And they look way better because it looks like they had to create them still in the same engine. But they're creating this thing from scratch versus, well, we have this ghoul. Here it is. And and then I've talked to, I won't, don't need to say who it is, but it doesn't matter. No one really knows. Him. Um, but I was just chit-chatting about games with an art director friend. And his biggest gri- one of his biggest gripes with Fallout 4 is just the inconsistency in color palette and presenting a world that is both bleak but bright. And I hadn't really paid attention to that until he brought it up and I went back and spent more time with the game. And it, it is interesting because you mentioned the bronze lion, but in the background was there like, a pink sky happening or like the ground is really dirty and worn out, but sometimes the buildings still look fresh and new. It's weird. It's something about it just is odd. I think. Well, that's the most unbelievable, unbelievable thing about the fiction of fallout is that people have lived in a post-apocalyptic world where paint exists and they haven't decided to use any of it. You know, like (laughs) these people have just accepted the fact that their whole world is just 
broken forever. You know, the, the only guy they, that uses paint well, is to, the green dude on the wall. Well, but yeah, but they make that's I thought that was quite intentionally tongue in cheek about the sure. game, right? It's like, yes. well, you could still get paint. I don't know why nobody uses it. So or make new art. Everybody's still listening to I'm this is a, just a personal gripe, but I have grown tired of that um 50s futurism aesthetic aesthetic where we're listening to retro hits played through phonograms and we're just the 50s baby and i get it it's the idealistic culture that we all have nostalgia for in the 50s whether or not it's accurate or not but it's that idealistic future is going to be incredible contrasted with oh my gosh this future is so horrible so it's a really easy shortcut to get that juxtaposition but we've had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games that have done it in the last yeah. five years. Um, I don't like know saying I'm sick is. of military shooters. You know, it's it's it, a genre at this yeah. point. Although, although I think the music is what gets to me most. Um, and in this one in particular, the radio station is not very diverse and kind of boring after the first ten minutes. Oh um, yeah, I turn it off. Yeah, hey, but hey, there's this I, I, hot tip. You got to go look up what was lost on eighttracks.com, which is this two hundred song playlist somebody curated to use as your background music for playing fallout 4 wow. it is so awesome and it's What's mostly stuff again? you've never it's it's eight tracks.com which is a you know website for sharing music uh-huh. um totally legit uh and the name of the playlist is called what was lost and it's this haunting beautiful unusual soundtrack for your game that fought they they sh- Bethesda should just license it and sell it as huh. a separate piece of DLC. It's amazing. Wow. It's totally transformed my experience the last 20 hours of the game. Easy. That sounds awesome. Check that out. Just going to ask you, Jeff, have you played uh, Black Ops 3? No. So even though it has four-player campaign co-op, some might argue you're sick of military shooters? Uh, What? No, I I wasn't saying. I was, I'm just saying that it's – you saying I'm sick of that is right. just sort of like – it's a genre. It's a thing. It's, it's And not, I think it's okay to be sick of that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a genre as much as it is an aesthetic because Bioshock right. and Fallout. But I understand that it is a – it's a convention. It's a trope used in many forms of fiction. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And if you're done with it, you're done with it. That's fine. Um, interesting that, Julian, you brought up uh, The Witcher 3 because I've spent a lot of time this week thinking about The Witcher in contrast to Fallout 4. And I love The Witcher. I think it is rightfully a Game of the Year nominee. It's probably going to be on my list. It, it, it was a fantastic experience that I have not finished and I want to go back to. And it, from a graphic standpoint, it, it trounces almost everything else out there that came out this year. It, it's a beautiful game. It's a lovingly well-crafted game. And yet, now that I've played Fallout, I, I am trying to pinpoint why Fallout is so much more compelling to me than The Witcher, and as much as I love The Witcher, and that's not to take anything away from that game, there is just something about the way freedom is expressed in Bethesda games that I find absolutely magical, and uh, and and that is a tr- true freedom. You know, true uh, at at all times, everything is is sort of presented to me with equal weight. And I, and I mean that like, like for example, in rise of the tomb Raider and in Witcher and in lots of games, there's a button that you push where you engage your superhuman senses and you see all the stuff that's active in the world. And one of the biggest, you know, it, it video games it, and it makes for uh, a very clear 
experience of, you know, what, what can I pick up? And it, it helps in a lot of ways, these very busily visualized games. But one of the biggest compliments I could give to the, uh, to fallout is that it doesn't have a button like that because everything in the world is equally (laughs) important. And the only thing that matters is how you decide it's important. What priority you put on that. Because there are times when I need to pick up a telephone, a useless piece of junk telephone in the world, more than I need to pick up that new gun. And that, to me, is is like a a short shorthand version of how Bethesda games are incredible. That because of where I am and what I'm trying to accomplish, the game doesn't get to decide what's what's the most important thing. It's really me in that world figuring out what's important to me. Does that make sense? Am I doing yeah. I, yeah. I, and I, yeah. I think this game more than most rewards you for having those disparate paths. Um, I know a bunch of people have been playing this game and basically ignored the primary plot line, um, you know, for the first 30, 40 hours of play because they were building settlements or they got hung up on one of the three or four big alternate plot lines that has, you know, 20 hours of content behind it or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and you know, and I was just starting to get into the crafting on this. I was sort of sharing notes with some of the gamers with jobs guys and we were all about 15 or 20 hours in. And I was like, God, I'm dying because I can't get radiation healed well enough and I'm running out of oil. And the other person was like, what are you talking about? The only thing I can't find is fusion cores. If I had fusion cores, my life would be perfect. And we had totally different things that we were doing 15 hours into this game with completely different resource demands, completely different plots going on, which makes it an impossible game to talk about because you never know what you're going to spoil for anybody. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I've become to come to appreciate too is, you know, when they at E3 this year, when they announced the, the big sort of, you know, modify your world, build stuff, you know, change everything. You can build buildings and all that stuff. I thought, wow, that's going to be a really interesting tacked on side thing that I'll, probably not spend too much time doing because I'm not that guy. I'm not the Sims guy who builds his pretty, pretty house. Um, But I'm so impressed with how they've managed to interweave that with what you're doing in the world and how much, how much more importance I have placed on it and how much joy I'm getting out of it. And especially later in the game, in the main story mission and in other story and in side missions, how they integrate that crafting and building stuff into what you're doing in the world. I won't say anything specific, but you, you know, the things that you, you can make at the beginning of the game aren't the same things that you can make at the end of the game. And I think that's really exciting and smart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just, I mean, I'm sure we don't want to talk about this forever, but one last thing I want to make sure I mentioned about fallout four, cause I haven't seen many people talking about it is how amazing the iPad integration is. Yeah, I it's yeah. The only I game I've ever played which has a feature like this that I actually am continuing to use. In most of the time I just use it as a mini map, but I also use it as, you know, if I want to have an alternate way to like have just my aid stuff, you know, handy for my yeah. left hand to tap on in the middle of doing something. It's been flawless. I've had no issues with it and it just it, it it's very immersive and it it's the only second screen implementation short of putting gauges for a flight simulator on an iPad that I've seen that actually works. I totally agree. My only complaint is that you literally have to have your device on constantly and uh, it has to reestablish connection if you turn it off. And so it sucks battery life. That's really the only, it, only it totally does. I, I leave mine plugged in when I'm doing it because it just sucks it right out. Yeah. Um, I'm glad uh, Stedman in the chat reminds me uh, that's something I wanted to bring up to you. Uh, you are an East coast guy 
Uh, I've only been to Boston once, but just my one time being to Boston has enriched my experience playing Fallout. And I wonder what your experience is like. As somebody oh, yeah. I mean, I used familiar. to live in a lot of the neighborhoods that, that these are in. I lived in Southie, um, which a bunch of this game happens in. I've lived uh, down on Commonwealth Ave, down by the Fens, where Fenway Park is. Um, I used to work down by Boston Common. So How all authentic these- is it? Well, I mean, like any of these games that are trying to capture the real world, including like the Assassin's Creed games, most notably, they do a tremendous amount of geographic compression. You know, right. you can run from you know one thing to another in five minutes that would take you five hours uh, and, and everything is smaller. But I would say thematically, the connections are le- are very legit. I mean, it, you, when you're in Fenway Park, uh, which is called Diamond City in the game, I guess that's a spoiler. Um it, I mean, the details are there, right? I mean, right. it may all be smaller than it should be in real life relative to how fast you run, but it feels like you're actually there. And more to the point, there are parts of Boston that I've walked around in this game where I haven't figured out there's a story reason for it yet, and they may come back, but they're like individual storefronts and restaurants that yeah. are clearly like the what would happen in 200 years if this, somebody was still running a fish restaurant here. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, man. And, and maybe that'll be a plot point later. Um, but there's one set of quest lines that some of the... I, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much. But there's a set of quest lines that basically become these fetch missions in and around central Boston that I think... So they seem infinite. And yeah. everyone goes oh. to a new location... Most of those locations have a connection to the actual thing that's there, which I find is really funny. Dude, there there is um there is a a, a couple of quests that I've been doing. Uh, one is called Cleansing the Commonwealth, and the other is called yep. Qu- Quarter Quarter Mastery. Quarter yeah, Mastery. those are the two I was thinking of. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I have done. I can't even tell you how many of them. And every time I turn them in, the 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 NPC goes, "There's always going to be more of these," and I keep going. Maybe there will be like, maybe this is literally an infinite, like infinite every quest. single building in the place is going yeah. to be a fetch location. Fetch but the thing that's location. so incredible about it is that none of them feel arbitrary or not well thought out. Like, no, there's every- always a payoff. There's always a story payoff at the end of it, too. It's never it's just getting the MacGuffin. Yeah. And the, the building that you go into has an interesting, it's interestingly designed. It's like where things are laid out tells a story. It's. It's it's like how did they how is there this much content here? I can't even anyway. Um I feel like there's something else I wanted to say, but Christian, I know you have thoughts on Fallout 4. Uh so come in and ruin our party. <laughs> what do well, you Well, I'm not I'm not here to ruin your party. I mentioned before we started recording, you know, I'd listen to some other shows uh do some discussion on Fallout 4 as well, and as I'm listening, I'm nodding along. And I'm agreeing with all the points they're making, more or less. And at the end, half the people will be like, and that's why I love it. And the other half will be like, and that's why it's not a great game. And that's what I think is so fascinating, you know, about the game and about where we are, where how we're able to politely discuss um, the differences. I think we all recognize the shortcomings of the game and what yeah. the game is trying to do. Yeah, I'm not trying to claim it's a perfect game at all. It's I mean, got plenty art. of issues. Yeah, that's perfect in the name. Uh, right. But, you know, it's whether or not it's fun for you. For me, I love story. Um, but Jeff, I think you and I appreciate story in a different way. I mean, you're look, walking into a fish business and looking at where things are laid out and extrapolating a story from that, that the designer maybe did or did not have in mind. Maybe it was randomly generated. I don't know. Maybe it was intricately laid out and purposely telling a story, or maybe we're assuming that because Holden turns his hat around, he is now a different person and your ninth grade English teacher wants you to notice that. I think it's um, pretty clear it's not randomly generated, but go ahead. 
Well, I think it's pretty clear that when Holden's head is backward, it's also a different character. The point being, I like narrative in a way more like The Last of Us, if you don't know me. God of War. Games like that, simple, clear, I'm playing a story, moving along, some choice is fine, but I don't need to have infinite options. That's not what I'm into for gaming. And for me, I feel like Fallout would be a stronger game if it abandoned trying to do that. Because it still tries to have this one big through line pulling you through the story and the witcher as well and this isn't just fallout's problem it's games like the witchers and other open world games as well where it's like go do this thing this thing is awfully important <laughs> but why don't you go run these 15 errands on your you'll don't worry you'll find your so this is a very minor minor first 20 minutes of the game this is the only way you will experience the game there's no it took me 10 hours to get there this is in the first 20 minutes of the game you find out that you are trying to find someone when you come out of the vault. And that is a big through line pulling you through the quest and the story of this game. I think that's a big miss. I think the way they set up the game emotionally, they don't give it enough time to have it resonate with you. The way something like The Last of Us sets up an emotional pull for your character to drive through the story and then keeps building on it. And they're able to do it because it's one narrative and you don't have a million places to go. This game sets it up very quickly. They think that it has weight or they want you to take weight from it. And I think it comes out hollow and empty and allows your character just to wander around. And then it's kind of a joke in the back of your head, like, I got to go find this person. They're real important. And however, Fallout, like many other open world games, end up becoming a monomyth structure, right? A monomyth structure is Star Wars, Lord of the Ring. It's a hero who goes on an adventure. They're in a huge crisis. They get the big win. Um, and then, you know, of course, what do they learn from that? What do they take home after that? It's very common across literature and lore. And that's what these games are. And I don't think you need this. I'm going to find this person to tell a great monomyth story. My pitch would be you're an awesome soldier. Go ahead and have you be an awesome soldier, a current awesome soldier because you come out of the vault being pretty awesome and you're going to inspect a vault hey uh soldier awesome we need you to come down here and check this vault just to make sure everything's up to oh no it's an emergency soldier awesome get in here we're gonna safeguard you lock down nuke goes off everything dies soldier awesome comes out and guess what his mission is his or her mission is to be awesome and rebuild society and do so any way he or she sees fit Now you have this huge open world to go play, to do all these things along the way. Little through lines pop up, go defeat this guy. This town really needs your help. Oh my gosh, your long lost buddy, Private Ryan, (laughs) exists over here. Go do this thing. And now you're living in a world where your character would also be living in this world instead of becoming an emotional wreck two hours into the game when you get to a certain point that has all of these trigger warnings all over it that the story pays off in no way, shape, or form. Well, that's sing- you're saying that as somebody who hasn't finished the story, and I would I would tell tell you that the story is pretty awesome, and it does pay off in some amazing ways. I, I get your point of like feeling that there's urgency that gets dispersed a little bit because you have so many other. Well, you have um, a choice, right? right? That's the problem: is that if it, the game isn't a monomyth because it doesn't force you to follow that path, but you're not right you're not punished you're right not you're not right it's, you're, by it's diverting just, this it's path for just another years. plot hook it's just a hook out there that you can choose to follow or not but the nature of the person you're trying to follow makes it a little bit like well what kind of a monster are you that you're not immediately totally invested in the primary plot you know i it took me 20 hours before i went and bothered checking in on the guy 
So I, you know, that makes me a horrible person, right? Because if it was a real world situation, it would be, you would be monolithic and chasing that, that thing. And the game doesn't actually, from a story perspective, the game doesn't actually lay that primary plot line out in any way, like the traditional hero's journey, right? I mean, there's no threshold guardians and helpers and there's so far I've found no sort of abyss and transformation moment that you come back and atone from. I haven't seen that in a traditional fashion, partially because all of those touch points are random out in the universe, depending on whether or not you touch them or not, whether you went there. I think the first ones are there. You encounter your first group of, peoples (laughs) peoples <laughs> i will say and i think that's what they're doing with establishing with that is that you are this person to but save dude, the day to do this thing your first group of peoples might not have been my first group of people that's the point is you can skip all of that it just depends where you walk if you walk and right instead of left at the bottom of the very first path and, and you have using a totally different experience conflating the word story to mean different things obviously but conflating the word story that's bad storytelling it's oh, different I storytelling. I completely disagree, dude. I, I think you come much- out with this task with this thing. You, I mean, Julian, no, you no, no, no. You, you're a monster if you don't go do this no, thing. No, no, no. You don't do it. I think and there's the much- no repercussions. Your character doesn't suffer guilt or any feelings of like, well, I should do this. Even as throwaway lines of dialogue, you're just like. <laughs> but dude, you're 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 talking about your character as if he's um, what's the name of the character in The Last of Us? Joel. Uh, Joel. You're not playing Joel. You're playing whoever you want to be. You're you're right. you. You're, no, I, the, you're, first, the, the first twenty minutes of the game sets up a narrative hook that isn't me but, to decide. Okay, I think The Witcher is a much more uh, uh, grievous uh, uh, offender in this area because literally the the narrative of The Witcher Three is there's this person she was last seen here she may be leaving go find her and you could be like yeah well but I'm probably gonna like clear out some tents and stuff like. There, it does it's supposed feel to be like, a chase. It's literally right. supposed to be a chase. Yeah. It feels like a ticking clock is happening, and if you ignore it, it seems weird. And I get that that weird cognitive dissonance that has to happen to, to be a video game. In that game, this game is very, very different than that. It sets up this mystery, but it's a mystery that in, if it were happening to you in real life, you may never find the answer to. It, it's like you wake up however much later. I can tell later, you, as that type of person, I would die trying to solve that mystery. Yes, but, but I, also- I, I have to. I actually agree with Christian on this. That I think that the initial hook is so ham-handed that it it, it opens itself up to this criticism. Now, I, I love story-based games. You know, I'm a huge irrational fan, um, and, and I think that this game does deliver on its story beats. But the fact that it gives you all of this open world space between them doesn't let it follow a traditional mystery structure the way I think, Jeff, you're trying to argue it would. And a traditional mystery structure, there's no ticking clock, right? And right. the problem with this is that there really should be a ticking clock given how they set it up. And I, every once in a while, that sort of comes back to my head. And when you start actually chasing it down like a detective story, they keep making it seem like it should be more urgent, but there's no consequence for not being urgent about it. So I'm loving this game. Like I said, you know, up there with my game of the year for Rocket League. But I think Christian's points here about the storytelling are valid in that it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. And I think it's an easy fix is all. And I'm not hating on the game, but I do think this is a valid critique that should be articulated and brought up for people going into the game. But I, and so, yeah, I think it's an easy fix, but I'm not trashing the game. Everything else that it does is is great. And I love that people are having fun with it. But I just feel like it, it bothers me as a gamer I am that it, this seems really easy to fix and that they didn't do it. At some point, 
Um, we are going to do what we did for Arkham Knight. Uh, we will do for this game, and and because I know you're not going to f- ever finish it, Christian. You'll be <laughs> you'll be the me in that equation. Yeah. And uh, you know, at some point after the first of the year, maybe or whatever, when it, when we deem it appropriate, we'll do a spoiler section where I will explain to you where the story goes, and I think you will be impressed. I, I really Sounds do. Great. I, I think it's it, for me. There has been more. There is more jaw-dropping narrative beats in this game than almost any other game I've ever played. I, I am so impressed with, like... I can't things. wait to follow in your footsteps. I'm not there yet. Uh, but I, I would never... I, I got a tweet from somebody who's like... After I, I tweeted out something that I had just oh, done. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, somebody was this. like, hey, man, uh, I, I can't believe you just got there. I finished the main story in 20 hours. And I'm like, why would anybody want to do that? I, I'm, I am in no way... I'm glad there's no ticking clock because I'm in no way rushing through anything. I'm just going to what seems the most interesting and doing a quest that seems the most interesting and having fun building my character up and building the world around me up. It's it, I'm just I do not want this to end at all. Well, here's a, a minor real life spoiler alert. My copy is currently uh, I dug a hole in a field and I threw it in the hole and I buried it, but I put a little <laughs> magnifying glass over it. So someone looking for it. <laughs> you are, you know, people want to kill you because uh, you got an early copy and then this is how you treat it. Oh. Honesty and I'm not bought by publishers. You're welcome. Oh. <laughs> because you're insinuating that I am in some <laughs> No, not uh, you specifically, the right. generally you. <laughs> okay, so I, there's lots of other games to talk about than Fallout, and we will continue talking about Fallout. Uh, but this is Julian. I do need to say, though, thank you to Sony for buying me a house. So I wanted to throw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Julian, what else, what else have you got on your playlist? Uh, so I, I have a, an 11 year old going on 25 year old son and uh, we do a lot of gaming together. And so we're always look on the lookout for stuff that's either couch co-op is always a big f- favorite or something that it's not two $60 copies of a game so that we can play next to each other, uh, or like say two PS4s so we could play destiny together, which would be great. Um, so, uh, dirty bomb came back on my radar. Dirty bomb is a game from splash damage. Uh, who you may know from, uh, you know, Wolfenstein Enemy Territory or yeah. Brink, uh, poor, poor, poor Brink had yeah, some, so much Brink. potential. Uh, anyway, it's they're free to play, kind of uh, tied you over to Overwatch uh, shooter, uh, team team based shooter, role based shooter, um, presented in a somewhat similar art style to Overwatch, uh, not quite as cartoony as Overwatch. Uh, but, but very similar sort of counter-strike style gameplay. Um, and it's really fun. It's really finely tuned. Um, if you've ever played counter-strike or something like that, you'll feel very comfortable right off the bat. And, you know, they're, it's a free to play model. So they want you to buy, uh, mercs as they're called in the game, which all have different abilities and they're all pretty classic, you know, healers and engineers and things like that. Um, but with a lot of variety. So if you've played a MOBA lately, um, it'll feel pretty comfortable, like, you know, the different kinds of characters and they rotate free ones through much like, you know, here's the storm or league of legends or something like that. Um, but it, it runs super fast on any kind of hardware, uh, and really well dialed in that it officially launched, I think in July this year, maybe, um, I think technically it's an open beta, but you can give them money. So I don't even know what that means with a free to play game anymore. 
Yeah. Um, but 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 really fun and definitely if you're trying to get you know seven or eight people together to have sort of a land party experience but you know you've got that issue of well i've got my crappy laptop and i only have two machines in the basement whatever you can get this installed on everything and everybody can be playing all at once in five minutes super fun it's called dirty bomb dirty bomb yeah cool um i i hesitate to bring up league of legends with you because i know your your addiction to league of legends is comparable to my addiction to heroes of the storm and there were some people in the chat room who were anticipating the two of us going at it MOBA versus MOBA. No, because um, I think I love I love Heroes of the Storm. I'm not going to go. Uh, there's no mano a mano on that one. Heroes okay. of the Storm's awesome. It's just different. Do you, um, you do you think that Heroes of the Storm is MOBAs for babies? That's my question. No, I think it's Heroes of the Storm is MOBAs for people who don't want to deal with the toxic a holes of League of Legends. Well, there's plenty of that. Believe <laughs> me, uh, but less less. Definitely less, honestly. The the amount of stupidity in the chat room of a ranked game in League of Legends is is it's really something to behold. I don't know how they engineered it. Uh, they must have tortured puppies for weeks to get that into the chat room. Um, <laughs> but uh, but they did just release the you know we just had the the world f- finale of the competitive scene in League of Legends a little while ago, and then we are now going into the new season, which basically just means this year's enormous game changing update where they yeah. try to shake everything up. And indeed, they completely rebuilt whole parts of the game, changed a third of the characters, significantly removed crutch items that people used to buy all the time. Uh, and it's my favorite time to play League yeah. of Legends is when they do this because there's no metagame that's locked. It's a little bit like Magic the Gathering. You kind of want to play right when nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the most... Uh, yeah, there's no set. You got to do this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're doing so, that actually with uh, Heroes of the Storm tomorrow. The new patch drops and it's the first time they've... They're completely changing the, the way leveling happens um, and they're increasing death timers at the beginning of, of early game. And they're changing the way the way things are weighted. All the numbers are getting shifted. That's so awesome. Massive, See, I love change. that because that's when that's when people like me, who are fundamentally terrible at games, have an opportunity to win by luck. <laughs> you know? right. and I, like right. I'll just randomly hit the buttons, and maybe something good will happen. It's like playing a fighting game nobody's played before, and they haven't published the guide yet. You yeah. know, you just maybe you'll get a sh- you know a Hadouken without even trying. That's one um, of my favorite things about reviewing games. If if I'm fortunate enough to get something early like fallout there's literally no way for me to get onto game facts and look something up i just have to figure I it out i love it i, I love, love it. it too i love it and so i i'm in that sort of zone with league of legends i probably will be for a couple of weeks and then i'll it'll get super competitive and everybody will get nasty and then i'll go play heroes of the storm again which i love heroes <laughs> of the storm here's the storm is awesome hopefully yeah. somewhere in there and i get i get an overwatch invite and then i'll be from set <laughs> christian how about you i know you've been playing star wars battlefront the full version yeah, I have Battlefront. I do want to talk some Tomb Raider too. But I know oh, we you've been will. playing that. We so will. We'll, we'll start on Battlefront first. Um, EA has an embargo out on reviews for this game, which is the dumbest thing because the entire game is available through EA Access, and so the fact that there are publications that have a review embargo and can get, play anyone can play the game right now and stream it and do whatever. And anyway, it doesn't matter. So that being said, I have not seen nor been given a review copy or signed any form of NDA or embargo for this game. I've been playing the game via EA Access, which if you like EA games is actually a pretty good deal. Battlefront. Beautiful. Made with care. Really, really put some time into this bad boy to make it look like Star Wars. Soulless. Hollow. Forgettable. <laughs> that is my uh, my tweet review of Battlefront. So, 
There's an article by a Forbes contributor that came out a couple of days ago saying um, why it's not worth $60, some clickbaity headline. If you read the article, though, he actually brings up some interesting points that I would agree. And Walker or Walker Attack, Walker Assault, that yes. is that is the game. That is the whole game. It really yeah. is. It is the entire game. And so the game has other modes, droid, um, escort, hero versus villain. Nope. Um, sorry? Nope, nope. It doesn't really. It has it has Walker Assault, <laughs> right? And so all of these all of these other modes are things that are also in Walker Assault. So it's almost as if they took other aspects or things that you can do in Walker Assault and brought them out as their own mini game because that's what the other modes almost exclusively feel like. the The dog fighting one, however, I would say does feel different enough because in Walker Assault there aren't that many other. X-Wings and A-Wings and TIE Fighters flying through the sky where the dogfight is a nice diversion, but it's it's over so quick and there's so few variations of what you're doing that it ultimately becomes like a really, really good piece of gum. It's delicious for, you know, the little bit, and then you're like, why am I still chewing this? Um, I really wish Walker Assault, there were more maps of that and other variations of that that weren't just walkers. I don't know what else it would be. Maybe Slave 1 Assault or something where you have this big battlefield-type fight. Um, so my ultimate takeaway for the game is, is it worth $60? I can't put a value on it. Do I think this will be the game that revolutionizes? <laughs> my favorite is when you ask yourself a question and then avoid yeah. the question. <laughs> right. So I can't possibly answer that. Just dismiss it. Just dismiss How it. dare you ask me that question, sir? Wait, that was well, you I can't assign yourself. a value to it. For, for me, no, it is not. It is not. It is not worth sixty of my dollars. I will answer it for me. Um, it, it really and, and so people in the chat are asking about the single player stuff or the co op stuff. Again, it, it's really weird because you get these really cool moments and there's some cool gifts out there of like Luke force pushing a stormtrooper out off a cliff right as a Tie Fighter flies by and he blows up and that's so cool. But the co op stuff too, it, it feels so absent of any soul. And I don't know how else to put it, because yes, you're Luke, and you're doing Luke moves, but it's just quick and run and gun in a way that the game doesn't necessarily reward strategy, and I know there was a big hubbub about it doesn't have voice chat, there's relying on party chat. And while using teamwork, of course, gives you an advantage, I would say in this game it gives you one of the least amount of advantages of any type of shooter, because it's so much just kind of run, scramble, run, scramble, you're not really rewarded in a way that Overwatch really focuses on teamwork. You need to have a balance of this, that, and the other. And the other thing is, if you're trying to protect your hero or villain, it it makes it hard to do. There's a mode that is just that, and of course, in Walker Assault, you often want to do that too, because your hero or villain are so overpowered. But Luke moves completely differently than you do as a rebel soldier, so he can't regular jump. He only does this lofty force jump. So if he tries to jump up somewhere or do something, the a group of soldiers trying to protect him is immediately left behind. It's really, it's really, really weird. It's really weird. It is beautiful. I think people will have a lot of fun when friends come over. I will show them this as like a showstopper, like, holy moly, look at this game. Isn't it incredible? But um, I, I really, really wish that it was given more time to become something with more, more meat to it. It is not Battlefront 
or I'm sorry, Battlefield with Star Wars, because Battlefield requires communication, coordination. This is not that, and it ultimately feels lifeless because of it. And I appreciate what they're doing, maybe hearkening back to an era of GoldenEye, or maybe even Overwatch, where perks and upgrading isn't all that important, and you have your default blaster or whatever, but it, it doesn't quite scratch that itch either for me personally. That's too bad. Uh, it's not even on my buy list, which is weird because of how much I love Star Wars. Um, and how- I think you're safe. Yeah. Uh, what was on my buy list, and I bought it uh, day one, is Rise of the Tomb Raider. I was a huge fan of the reboot that um, that happened recently with uh, Tomb Raider, two years ago, I guess it was. And uh, I think this game is phenomenal. I think this is uh, an amazing progression from where Tomb Raider is. It certainly has learned a lot of things from the Uncharted games. It actually learned some stuff from from uh, Last of Us as well, interestingly. But, it, you know, I think it conveys a story in a, in a really smart way. It adds in a whole layer of open-worldness where you can kind of get lost doing fun side things. And the, the optional tomb raiding challenges are all really well-designed, really interesting. They each have a, a, a cool puzzle that is very unique and not just a cookie cutter. It really does feel like they belong in that place in the world. Like where you discover that tomb has everything to do with what kind of a tomb it is and what the puzzle is. The, the abilities that Lara Croft has at her disposal are all fun and interesting. The leveling mechanic is cool. How she acquires new weapons. Like one of the big things at the end of the last uh, Tomb Raider, she acquired her guns for the first time. It was this really cool moment. And I love the way that she acquires each new thing in this game. It it happens during the story. It is organic. She finds a new thing and starts incorporating it uh, and then can use her crafting to improve those things. But it's not just an arbitrary, like I found it on a dead guy or I got it because that's it because video game. It it really does feel (laughs) like it's integrated into the world and in a really cool way. Uh, And it's gorgeous. The game is absolutely stunning to look at. It does that thing. I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Halo 5. One of the things I criticized Halo 5 for, even though I love that game, is that its cutscenes often showed you doing things that are way cooler <laughs> than what you do in the actual yeah, game, which I think sure. is the cardinal sin of, of a cutscene. You can't do that as a cutscene. Like, don't show me doing something better than anything I get to do. Um, and Tomb Raider is a is a great example of that Uncharted-esque thing where you're actually playing the cutscene. I mean, there are cutscenes in Tomb Raider, but most of the time those cutscenes are just story, just people talking to each other. The big action beats, the big chase scenes, the big escape from this and leap to that, all of that I'm actually doing. And I think that goes such a long way into making it feel epic because these things that are larger than life and usually only happen in a cutscene and are as visually impressive as any cutscene, I'm actually controlling my character through. Um, and and that's, it's, it's a freaking awesome game. Christian, you're playing it too? Yeah, it, uh, so I had mentioned earlier, we're maybe only doing five games for our faves of the year. This, this game has really dropped a bomb in my list. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you always need to save room for that at the end of the year, but it is, it is incredible. If you liked Tomb Raider, you will love Rise of the Tomb Raider. If you felt like Tomb Raider was missing the tombs, I mean, I think in the first two hours of this game, and again, I will not, there would be no story spoilers in anything I say. Um, the first two hours, something like that, I think I'm pretty sure I rated more tombs 
than I did in all of Tomb Raider, of the reboot of Tomb Raider. It yeah. is... And the tombs are cool. They're, they're so really interesting. Cool. And the puzzles are really clever. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. And it's, they're not combat heavy. I mean, granted, you still, you murder scores of people in this game. It justifies <laughs> it a little bit. If you collect, you know, some of the collectibles that give, um, you know, the audio log stories along the way, there's yeah. some really, I think, funny and touching things about the people you've slaughtered <laughs> <laughs> one one criticism that uh the folks at the gamers job conference call had on this game which i have not played yet i'm sort of on the fence about it is that um yet again laura craft laura croft just gets beaten to a pulp over and over and over again like almost torture porn level do you find that at all i think it's very different than the last game i, yes. I don't think that there's any scene in the last game that is as bad as the one you're thinking of from you know in, the, in this game i should say as as the one you're thinking of from the last game she um, she still gets put through the ringer but yeah it's not as bad as as tomb raider i also think some of that is our own gender bias being brought into the mix because nathan drake gets the crap kicked out of him uh he quips while it's happening sometimes like oh why'd i give you those brass knuckles or whatever but like dude gets beat up and i i think there is some gender bias that male gamers bring into the equation that because laura in this She's a tough mofo, man. I mean, and and from the, from the very beginning, people are like, "I'll help you." And what do you do? No, <laughs> you don't, yeah. I don't need your help. I'm a bad mofo. Get out of my way. I'm doing this. And uh, I think it is it has corrected that ship from the 2012 okay. 2013 version. And there there's there's so many cool moments and and larger than life like that thing where you're hanging off the cliff and you can see you know the wide vista behind you and the game is so gorgeous so. Gorgeous, especially on an alien's television. Let's say, um, <laughs> I, yeah, this- I, I really do think that this everybody would be talking about this game if it didn't come out on the same day as Fallout Four. It's it's such a shame. I think just and if pure it had released release on, on more platforms, I know that there was a monetary reason that the people at Square thought it was you know the smart thing to do. But it's hard when fall yeah Fallout Four comes out on uh, Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. And you're just on Xbox that also just, what, two weeks before launched Halo 5, the console's, like, yeah. marquee title. It's hard not to get drowned out. But if you like these types of games, if you like Uncharted, um, this largely linear but single-player campaign. And, it, and it's not open world. I would call it, like, open hub, if yeah, that makes you're sense. Right. Yeah, you get to these like, you get to these arenas, basically, that have a lot of extra stuff and optional stuff to do. And you can hunt wildlife, and you can discover uh, secret areas, and you can find stuff that give you XP to upgrade your character in all these fun ways. And I find myself really enjoying all that and trying to squeeze every bit of it out of each area I'm in. But I'm always able to move on the story when when I've you know kind of gotten tired of it. It's and I would argue it might just be my game style bias showing, which I'd happily admit if that's the case. But I would argue that Tomb Raider handles that side content better than the way witcher or fallout handle it from a narrative standpoint again i know different games different style of games but you do have this through line that's pulling you through um and tomb raider as well and this arguably ticking clock you know race to get this thing do this thing but i i find that the they give you enough explanation to explore where that i can believe as the character doing it because she doesn't necessarily know where to go i know where the next story marker is because if i hit my survival instincts it shows up as yellow versus 
blue or whatever it is, but as the character in the world where you're trying to find these artifacts and do this thing, if you stumble across a tomb, I believe her willingness to go into the thing and explore the thing. I don't know, dude. There, there are several moments in this game where a guy is on the other end of a radio. You hear shots fired at him. He's like, oh, good, Laura, come on, come on. And she's like, oh, look, a, a tomb. <laughs> I'm going to raid that. Because I'm a Tomb Raider. So that uh, hasn't happened to me. Maybe it's just oh. because I'm buying into the story and I, I just run to go do it. So. How, have you gotten to Soviet? I am far. Okay. All right. We won't. We can talk about that later. That's um, interesting. I need to go back and replay because where things like that have happened to me, I felt like I needed to keep going, but maybe I could break away. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. That's a fair point. I think if that is true, this game then deserves all of the critiques I gave Fallout. (laughs) (laughs) It's a phenomenal game. It's gorgeous. I love the fact that we're at this point with games where everything is diegetic, you know, so it all takes place and all fits in the world and there's no video gaminess of it. Like, if she gets a gun, she puts that gun on her back. If she has ammo, she has a pouch where that ammo goes on her back. You want to make more ammo and get a bigger pouch? The pouch is physically larger on her back. If Does she need light in a in a tunnel? She pulls out a glow stick, snaps it, holds it up in the air. It illuminates the area in orange glow. She then sticks yeah. that on her belt. It hangs on her belt. Like, everything is motivated. So just, just like Fallout 4, right? Like, I can put all that armor on my dog, right? <laughs> right, right, right. But your dog moves slower. Yeah. Can I um, bring up real quickly... Uh, if we're done with Tomb Raider, I finished the campaign of um, Black Ops 3, Call of Duty. Right. I still think it's a well-made game that people will enjoy. That camp, that story of that campaign is horrible. It is. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but it is the worst trope that you wrote in fifth grade when you were writing fiction. Horrible. How do you know oh. about that? I didn't show it to anyone. Because everybody wrote it and we all thought we were the best. <laughs> it's horrible. Shame on the hundred writers that cobbled together that story. Yikes. What? That is dog meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to move on. I'm excited. Julian's here. We're going to talk about uh, board games at the tabletop time. Tabletop um, time. Yeah, very excited about that. But I have to uh, play this. I've been waiting to play this. This is exciting. Uh, some folks that listen to the show got together and organized through the uh, the uh, subreddit at uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And gave us a little audio congratulations on our 100th episode, so I thought I'd play that now. A little warning, it it does end rather abruptly, so I'm not really sure why that is, but I'm going to play it in its entirety. Uh, It's not too long, and I love it. DLC, of course, stands for your downloadable Christian and downloadable Kanata, but this week, DLC stands for drinks and laudations for the centennial. Happy 100, guys. Hey, Jeff and Christian, it's... Bubs here with Dad. And Dad here with Bubs. Congratulations, Congratulations on a hundred episodes from the Dad and Bub podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. We love listening. Yeah. Hey, Jeff and Christian. Congratulations on your one hundredth episode. You guys are my heroes. I look forward to every Monday after the weekend. It's what I look forward to. Hey, Jeff and Christian. I just want to congratulate you guys on the hundred episodes of DLC. It's been a great ride. I hope to hear a hundred more. Hey guys, congratulations on your 100th episode. Woo! Jeff, Christian, congrats on 100 episodes. I've been a huge fan since the weekend confirmed days, and I can't wait for another 100 episodes of DLC. Thanks, guys. 100 episodes! Hey, DLC crew, congratulations. That's awesome. You know, Jeff, here's to 100 more episodes of you just loving to love things. And Christian, here's to 100 episodes 
of you keeping Jeff grounded and not going off the deep end with loving everything he plays. Congrats, guys. Yeah, brother. That's 100 episodes coming right at you. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, thanks to everybody that contributed to that, and uh, we really appreciate it. That really tickled me when I opened it this morning. Uh, thanks so much for organizing that, guys. Uh, you're the best, and we're going to keep on trucking. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a joy. It's a, a testament to, to Christian and the, all the folks that help us make this possible and, and all the guests that we've had. You know, we've had 100, well, I guess 99 or 98 guests because we didn't have a guest on our first episode and we didn't have a guest on our one-year episode. But other than that, we've had um, fantastic guests and fantastic listeners, and it's, it's really a joy. So thanks a lot, everybody. All right, uh, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time, how shall we? Right now, right now. Julian, I know you are a tabletop gamer. Indeed. What would you like to talk about on tabletop time? Well, you've already talked a little bit about Pandemic Legacy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm still in, in our run. I'm doing that as a family game. My daughter, my son, and my wife and I. And we're undefeated so far. We've gone, I think we're in May. Oh, yeah. We, we are first, I think, five games we were undefeated, and then we lost two in a row. So, uh, yeah. yeah so I imagine that'll that. happen. <laughs> we've had some really close ones, like, you know, one card away from uh, Ultimate Doom. Uh, and there's not much to say about that game. I'm horribly biased. Rob Davia, the designer, is a good friend of mine. Um, and, but I went into blackout on that game. I refused to play test it for a year and a half because I wanted to go into it cold. And I'm really glad I did because I've really enjoyed it. And it's really fun being surprised, uh, by the finished game with all the components all in the little boxes, which I'm not used to with because every other one of his games, I've always had sort of, you know, a cardboard play test copy, which is loses some of that appeal of ripping open the box and pulling out the new thing, uh, which is just really, really fun fun um i appreciated some of the discussion you guys had about the disposability of those kinds of games um i will tell you that the first thing rob did when he was here at my house the other day was rip open my copy of the game to see what had happened because for him every board is like a map of that team's you know that that group's story in the game uh and you know no matter how much you play test it it's not the same as having however many tens of thousands of copies out there right so uh if anybody if anybody has played it all the way through drop him a, a twitter picture of your final board or something like that that or something that won't spoil the game for anybody cuz he really enjoys looking at those things that was super fun um but i the game that i played most recently uh was actually it's not a brand new one but i played a bunch of Ora Labora which i know is a game that you've played Jeff you've talked oh, about yeah. that before right I'm a huge Uwe Rosenberg fan um this is not my favorite of his designs but it's certainly a fascinating design It is uh, actually my favorite of his designs believe it really? or not Really um, more than and, and Agricola the Uve for him i mean just we you have to list it Bonanza Agricola Lahav Loyang Mercator Ora Labora Agricola caverna patchwork those are all some of my favorite games of all time yeah. and i've i think i've only missed like one game in that whole list um so of everything he's ever made i think oran labora has one of the driest themes ever i mean you're literally monks <laughs> in a monastery like harvesting land at a monastery there's nothing quite as exciting as monks well but... agricola is being the world's most average dirt farmer so i, yeah, think but... wins. I mean at least people understand how farming works this is like you're a monk and you're you know i don't know 
but uh but it's it's got this fascinating um wheel mechanic that that I find pretty cool. Yeah, the 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 ca- the time mechanic is interesting because it basically acts as a kind of catch-up feature that any resource nobody takes there's more of the next turn. Um right. and there's no real sort of sense of the there's no sort of everybody takes a turn and then a thing happens, right? So the game is going every turn, if you will. So it's a continuous game, right. uh, which I really love that kind of mechanic. I love games that don't break into, you know, year one, year two, year three. Um, we played this back to back with another one of my favorite games, uh, a completely different scale on complexity, which is Alien Frontiers, uh, uh, which we colloquially in my group refer to as Space Yahtzee because you're just <laughs> rolling a bunch of six sided dice and then matching them on the board. So it's a worker placement game with dice uh, like uh, what's the not kingdoms um, Kingmaker. Is that it? Yeah, that it is? Uh, it's uh, King Builder. King like yeah, it's a, it's a common mechanic at this point, this yeah. sort of dice placement game. Um, but but again, one of the reasons I love that game is the same reason, which is that the game just keeps moving. You take your turn, you move. You take your turn, you move. And it just there's no sense of, uh, you know, you have four turns until you're done kind of thing, which which I don't really like very much in games. So, yeah, that's sort yeah. of been my jam lately. I'm dying to play uh, Fields of Arl, which got mm. released a little while ago. Uh, which I've heard is sort of a, a return to the more Agricola-esque uh, type gameplay and apparently completely autobiographical. It's about his hometown, yeah, crazy. Uh, which I have not yet played. I'm not even sure whether it's in print in the United States yet. Yeah, I haven't heard from anybody that's played it either. Um, but Alien Frontiers is a game that I, I probably should recommend more on this show. I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's a great one. And it's got this really cool like 60s era sci-fi aesthetic, like all the all the zones that you're trying to control uh, are named after famous old classic sci-fi authors like Asimov and Heinlein and yeah. all those guys. Uh, very, very cool game. Easy to pick up, uh, easy to learn. Uh, it, it does have very Yahtzee-esque rules where you, you roll a bunch of dice and you look at all the numbers that came up and you decide where you want to allocate those. Um, it's got a really cool aesthetic. There's a, a, a reprint that came out recently that has like even better pieces in it so um it's a cool game yeah it was a it was an early kickstarter success yeah um, and one of those games that i think they may have made some mistakes on because they um you know as the kickstarter kept going up and up they kept promising more goodies uh and so the version i got i actually got off ebay from somebody who had been part of the kickstarter and it came with all sorts of crazy goodies, different dice and little widgets for this, that, and the other thing. Um, the games also had a couple of expansions, which, in my opinion, are terrible. I, I don't I think these expansions actually make them any good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played them. That's interesting to know. They mostly just add more complexity for no good reason. They just sort of add more places to send your guys, and you tend to forget that they exist. Um, yeah. It does add a, a hidden agenda mechanic, which I tend to like. That that expansion we use, they're all sort of modular, like the Game of Thrones expansions. You can just toss them in as you need them. Um, but but I wouldn't recommend the expansions. But the core game, super solid, and and again teaches in like five minutes. And as yeah. I get older, the more and more I want games that I can just put on the table and play very quickly. It's I love big crunchy games, but generally when I manage to get a game group together, it's like we've all had a long day of doing stuff. Yeah. And then we they come over and we have a little bit of dinner and then we have a cocktail and at that point teaching somebody a big crunchy game is just out. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and it's a it's a it's a big hill to climb to say okay, gonna have to sit here and listen for twenty minutes before we can play. It's it's a it's a lot to ask people. Do you ever with your game groups like send an email around ahead of time and saying, hey, we're playing a new game. Here's the YouTube videos. 
Everybody watch no, it before you show up. I've done that once. Uh, I find I have to have the right group for that too, because I feel like some people interpret that as homework and they feel like, Oh, I like kind of explaining games and, and making it sort of easing people through that process. Um, but you know, the YouTube videos have gotten better and better. Um, in fact, the game that I wanted to talk about has a great one, but I do want to mention that, uh, purple Teletubby in the chat had our backs on the game. We were trying to think of it's Kingsburg. Kingsburg. Thank you. Yes. Frontiers is kind of like, um, I, last night I had a very similar experience where uh, it was the evening we had been out. Uh, my wife and I went out bowling with some friends and came back and I said, like, let's play a board game. I want to play something new. And I almost didn't do it because it was like, oh, learning a new game. We're kind of tired. It doesn't seem relaxing. I'm so glad we, I pushed over that hump, though, because the game that I picked out to play actually was very easy to learn. And we had a blast playing it, which was much to my surprise. It's called Gold West. And uh, it is a very Euro-style game. It is very much managed resources and accrue points. You know, they call them uh, point salad games, where you you have just a myriad ways to accrue points in the game. So it's all about how, what do you want to, what strategy do you want to employ to get those victory points? Uh, because there's a lot of them that you can try. But the cool thing about Gold West is that all of that is compressed into a really short playtime. And usually these kinds of Euro games. Uh, take a long time and have a lot of uh, have a lot of rules. This accomplishes what a lot of them do, but does it in a really compressed time frame. It has this really cool, um, basically a countdown timer that ends the game at a certain point. And the game isn't very long. We I think we played it in like less than an hour, which is pretty awesome for a game of this complexity. It's it's all about building your mining empire. Uh, you know, during the gold rush on the frontier. And it's got some area control, kind of like uh, Alien Frontiers has that area control where you're trying to build camps and settlements in certain places and you can disrupt other people's settlements by building in their area and trying to break apart their uh, the sort of empire that they're building because you get bonuses at the end of the game for how many camps you can build next to each other. So if you disrupt somebody else's camp, it, it can hurt them, hurt their score at the end of the game. And you're building, uh, you're, you're getting... Or uh, copper and silver and gold, and uh, sort of the unique mechanic of this game is that when you dig in a certain area, you get the ore that is that is on that space. But then you place that ore into your mine at a certain level, and the deeper you put it into your mine, the more points you get initially. But the harder it is to get out of your mine, the more the more um, turns it will take to pull it out of the mine. So you have this wonderful pu- uh, push and pull between how many points you want to get up front or how quickly you want to be able to turn those those minerals, those ores, into points by yanking them out of the mine and spending them on things. And there's lots of different ways you can spend all your different materials to get points. Really cool teaches, game. It teaches so quick, though. That's part of what's crazy about it is there's a lot of depth to this, but it's not like a sit-down-and-read-a-manual for half an hour game. Yeah, and, and there's really only three steps to a turn, uh, so it plays really fast. And you, you only have a certain number of camps you can build. And once you've built all your camps, the game's over. So And you build them pretty quickly. Um, I, you have, have you played it too? Yeah. And, and I, I, I think I almost have to give the shout out to the, the, the company here, which is Tasty Minstrel Games. Yeah, they're which great. I, you know, they produce so many great games that fit this exact mold. Like these small games that have more depth than you think they would. They've made 
Um, they published Coin Age, which is one of my favorite little tiny games of all time that you play with pocket change and a credit card. Yeah. Um, which is a fantastic, and it's a really good game. I mean, you could play that game for three hours. It's a really solid game. Um, they make a game called Burgoo about making soup, which is one of my favorite games of all time. I thought you were going to say um, it's my, one of my favorite foods. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, and they, they also published a game a couple of years ago called um, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Two to Four of Us, which I just love. <laughs> Uh, which is a great little territory t- control game, which somewhat similar to this, although uh, um, uh, although uh, G- Gold West has sort of more pieces and more production value than um, this town and big enough. Uh, similar, it's sort of an interesting territory control game where you're really sort of thinking out sort of resource allocation and placement. Yeah, I guess my only criticism of Gold West is that it's a little dry in terms of uh, just uh, design aesthetic. I think the the production quality is very high and the pieces are all really high quality. It's just it just there's not much fun art to be seen. It's, it's clear and it's, and it's well presented, but it, it wouldn't wow anybody when you, when you bring it out of the box, but it's, it's pretty abstract. I mean, the, there's, yeah. the theme on this game is about as thin as a Reiner Knizia game. I mean, it's right. just thin, thin, thin. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, it, it reminded me a lot of a, one of my favorite games, which is a uh, dominant species. It kind of accomplishes a lot of the same things that dominant species does, but does it in like, a twelfth of the playtime, <laughs> and I, you know, I I love Dominant Species, but I never get to play it because it's like, well, sit down for this three hour experience that's going to take, you know, half an hour to learn, and it's really complicated and super cutthroat, and you're probably going to be frustrated because people are going to kill off your species. You know, this this has got the same kind of uh, almost a little bit of worker placementy stuff and area control and and managing resources. I don't know it it does it so much quicker and so much easier and it and it plays fast my wife really dug it uh she wanted to play uh over and over and so you know i'm i'm any game that my wife digs is going to get a big high mark for me as well amen yeah all right um so that's going to do it for tabletop time and really that's going to do it for this 100th episode we do have our parting gift coming at you so stay tuned for that but uh, Julian Murdoch, thank you so much, man. It's always a pleasure. We got to have you on more often because oh, anytime, especially if you want to talk board games, man. I'm all in every time. Yeah, love it. Um, where can people keep up with you? Uh, uh, so easiest fun? thing is either uh, GWJ Rabbit on Twitter uh, or the Gamers with Jobs conference call, which we put out every Wednesday morning at GamersWithJobs.com. Very cool, Christian. What's going on with you this week? I will be at the Scottsdale Laugh Factory Thursday through Sunday of this week doing a bunch of shows. I'll be out there with Dean Del Rey. We do a podcast on all things comedy called Bitchin' that goes out on his um, RSS feed, Let There Be Talk. So that's Thursday through Sunday at the Scottsdale Laugh Factory. If you are in the Phoenix area, want to come to a show, tweet at me. We can throw you on the guest list. I am sure if you're not there, maybe tell your friends. It should be should be fun and exciting. And then um, uh, my Twitch channel, I'm consistent on thursdays around 1 30 p.m pacific it is twitch.tv slash christian spicer this week we will see um it just depends on what time we get into the phoenix area when i can set up my console and get going and i think i might uh, do some battlefront or maybe some tomb raider later today as well and then twitter at spicer easiest way to communicate with me jeff uh what are you guys concerned about this week Oh, gosh, lots of concerns this week. I can't remember what the episode that came out today was, but I remember it being pretty fun. <laughs> we Have Concerns is a comedy science show that I do with Christian Spicer. You can check that out. Anthony Carbone. Con- Did I say Christian Spicer? Yep. That's because I love you too much. Christian. Oh, thanks. 100 episodes deep. Finally got, yeah, to, finally got included. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, Anthony and I do it uh, over at wehaveconcerns.com. And uh, also... Uh, 
the Slash Filmcast. We're going to be talking about Spotlight this week, which is a very interesting film. You can check that out at SlashFilmcast.com. And I'm on Tomorrow Daily now as well on CNET, uh, although we're taking this week off. But uh, if you didn't get a chance to check out last Thursday, we, did, we debuted our, our first uh, longer episode. It's really fun talking about tech, talking about games also. Uh, you can check that out at TomorrowDaily.com. It's on CNET. I uh, hope people give that a shot. It's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool show. I'm, I'm really digging it. It's video as well. Um, all right, guys. That's going to do it. Let's, uh, let's give the people uh, something to get them through their week. Let's give them a little pudding gift. Oh, that didn't happen. It didn't happen, guys. 100 episodes, and you'd think I would have uh, been able to do it by now. Uh, that's because I was queuing up something else, and I didn't realize. Bear with me. Here we go. <laughs> hey, give us a suggestion. Flawless. Flawless. Uh, <laughs> Julian, do you have something to help people get through their week? Uh, well, you know, since this is sort of the non-gaming-ish part of the podcast, I would say strap on some boots and go for a hike, man. I, it's yeah. fall at New England. It's the perfect time of year. Leaves are down on the ground and all crunched out. And uh, I start every morning, hopefully, with a nice you know, four or five mile run or walk with my dogs in the woods. So if you got an opportunity, go do it. Love it. Geeks and sneaks, baby. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's what's your parting gift? I do listen to other podcasts. Uh, there was something else. It, yeah, uh, I'm trying to make this thing work, and it's all gonna be it's all gonna be. A hey, it's a hundred of hundred of fun. Um, it, I'm recommending it. It's not great, but Stan Lee's amazing, fantastic, incredible memoir graphic novel came out uh, this month, and it's so it's like a comic book version of his biography. And it's not the best, but like it's pretty cool, and I'm glad they did it. And the art's really neat, and you can find it, even though it just came out. I think it's like twelve, fifteen bucks. And uh, I'm a Stanley super fan, so you know, throw him some more money because he doesn't have enough. <laughs> uh, so, a hundred episodes. I want to say thank you, thank you for listening, thank you for continuing to subscribe and tell your friends about the show. We really appreciate it. But you know, uh, this is the part of the show where I usually give you a recommendation of some cool thing to do. And uh, I was thinking this week, you know, we had uh, those horrific attacks in Paris and I was glued to my television uh, through that. And then I watched uh, some of the debates uh, here in our country as we were gearing up for another contentious uh, political season. And I just want to advocate for being engaged, like give a shit. You know, care, be, think about the world around you and vote. Maybe if you're not registered to vote, if you're 18 or older and you're listening to this and you're not registered to vote, or maybe you didn't vote in the last election, maybe this is the time when it kind of matters what, how you feel. And, you know, people think that their, their voice doesn't matter. Their vote doesn't matter. It'll just get canceled out or whatever. The world will just keep going on as it is without me having to be involved. Well, it's not really true you really get a chance to exercise your beliefs and push the world in the direction you want it to be pushed. And you're only going to be ignored if you don't make your voice heard. And the easiest way to do that is to vote. So I know voting day is not tomorrow, but this gives you a lot of time chance to think about that. Maybe register if you're not registered and uh, decide how you feel and start listening to the world around you and get engaged and care. Um, so it means a lot. You know, it really does have a palpable effect on on the things that happen to you. So do it. Uh, okay, my my second parting gift uh, is um, 
something that you heard in that in that lovely tribute that some of our listeners put together. Dad and Bubs. Well, it turns out Dad and Bubs uh, do a little podcast of their own, and uh, they talked about us on that show. So I'm, I tried to cue it up. We'll see how well I did. <laughs> but I thought I'd play us out with a, a fun little uh, exchange that happened. They they didn't know we were listening. Uh, this is uh, Dad and Bubs on their fun little podcast. It's a, a father and son team who do a, a podcast. Whoop, I screwed it up again. Here we go. It's going to happen uh, correctly at one of these times. Don't you worry. Don't you worry, guys. Uh, 100 episodes. Flawless. And we also, and my dad watches other podcasts. I do listen to other podcasts. That involves book, cardboard, and dice. <laughs> I do. I listen to a lot of it's different podcasts. It's the story of the week. It's the story <laughs> yeah. of the week. It's the story of the week. You can't sing that. They might it's have the that. Story they might. The week. They might have that copyright. Ah! Might, we might get sued. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I doubt they would sue us. We do listen to that podcast, though. It's the DLC. Yep, called DLC. Downloadable. I forgot what the other one was. <laughs> downloadable Kanata and Downloadable Christian. No, Dom, no, L. Oh, Downloadable Content. Yep, that's what they call their uh, podcast. It's a good that's uh, my favorite thing. That's great. <laughs> that's pretty wonderful, right? Uh, thank you, Dad and Bubs. I love that all the effort we do to <laughs> to brand that downloadable. I don't know, whatever the third thing is. Uh, it's very fun. But thank you, guys. I thought that was a, a, a fitting end to our hundredth episode. Here's to a hundred more, and uh, we will see you next week. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. I really, really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Until then. Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.